0: Tate Chronicles
1: now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world, from border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea. I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning in today to the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased my guest today is none other than Dr. David Nash. I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Nash at the recent VIVE conference in Nashville. He is the founding dean of Jefferson College of uh, Population Health and a board-certified internist. He's a respected expert on healthcare accountability, quality, and membership. I've become acquainted with his book uh, entitled How COVID Crashed the System. A Guide to Fixing Healthcare, co-written with Charles Wolford. Dr. Nash, welcome to the Tate Chronicles.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Jim. Great to be together.
1: I've been waiting uh, for somebody to write this book for some time now. Uh, And I think there may be enough distance uh, since the uh, COVID pandemic. And I want to thank you for uh, doing this book and and publicizing this book.
0: It's important. Well, I'm thrilled to be here and uh, glad you're interested in the book. It's gotten a really great reception. We're, we're grateful that people are paying attention.
1: You know, back in the, uh, to give a financial analogy, back in 2008, 2009, when we had the uh, mortgage uh, crisis uh, and problems with the banks, uh, the government started stress testing banks. I right. think the COVID pandemic was a
0: stress test of the American healthcare system. That's a great analogy. <clears throat> and I think it fared even worse than the financial system. Well, I,
1: I think it did. And, uh, you know, we just didn't know where the gaps are going to be until the pressure was applied. So uh, there are a few things in your book uh, I'd like to just bring up kind of as subtopics. You know, we're not going to have a lot of time today, but I want to uh, talk about what to me are some of the really important things that Um, that we learned about what went wrong. Uh, The first of which is um, in your book, what you call the failure of leadership. Yes. Uh, Is that political? Is it medical? Is it all the
0: above? Yes. Well, great question, Jim. It's basically, sadly, all of the above from the very top of the food chain or the executive branch (laughs) all the way to the CDC to the FDA early on in the pandemic, there were experts who warned the senior most leaders of what was about to occur. They were belittled, they were ignored. Uh, Sure, some of our listeners remember that the president at the time said, I'll see you in church for Easter Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, that never came to fruition. In April of 2020, when we were basically one month into it. And at that point, we had passed the nearly 50,000 dead in late April of 2020. And here we are, three years later, almost to the day, and we have 1.2 million dead, more deaths per capita than any country in the world from COVID. Now, you,
1: you mentioned your book that. Uh and makes quite a bit of commentary that the American culture makes us more vulnerable. Yes. What, what do you mean by that, Dr. Nash?
0: Well, we talk about three aspects of our culture in no particular order. Um, <clears throat> American individualism, exceptionalism, and federalism. Let Let me quickly tackle each of those. So, sure. Of course, American individualism is, you know, the notion that we're still in the covered wagons heading out west on the Oregon Trail. We can't wait to see the vast Pacific Ocean, and we are, you know, autonomous beings. we want to claim our own property. You get the mm-hmm. idea that, sure. uh, you can't tell me what to do. That's American individualism tightly woven into our culture. American exceptionalism is, you know, pardon me, not invented here, we're not going to pay any attention. And in the book, we talk about uh, Jefferson doctors who had close relationships with Italian doctors pre Christmas 2019. And those doctors warned our colleagues here at Jefferson about just how bad it was and what was headed our way. But basically, American exceptionalism was not invented here, we're not interested. And then finally, federalism, and our listeners, I hope, remember when various governors called out their own National Guards people to protect ventilators and shipments of Mm. PPE and gloves and all the rest. So Individualism, exceptionalism, and federalism cost us hundreds of thousands of lives.
1: um, For a historic perspective, uh, you you may be able to weigh on this, maybe not. But um, I'm old enough to just remember the tail end of the polio epidemics.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, And so um, during that time, were there uh, you know all kind of uh, almost conspiracy theories going around or, or um, kind of outside the mainstream treatments? or
0: uh, Is
1: there any comparison or have we?
0: Well, that's a great you know. question. We uh, researched this in mm. some detail. And, of course, there was no Internet, no social media. There barely was, you know, a telephone and very little television also. And you and I are of the same era. So there was, as far as we're able to tell, tremendous respect for Dr. Salk and others in the polio vaccine. It was considered a great American achievement. Remember, we were in the height of the Cold War with the Russians. They had put Sputnik up in space, but we had conquered polio. So it was considered a patriotic duty to get vaccinated. A totally different social yeah. and cultural time than the one we're in currently.
1: You know, and I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Saug re-
0: refused any patent on his vaccine. That is correct. And he was viewed as a national hero. I mean, it was from a totally different era, obviously.
1: Um. Well, let's move on to uh, COVID and racism.
0: Uh, That's in yes. your book. Yes.
1: Yeah, what's the story there, Dr. Nash? Well,
0: I wish I could sort of just summarize it for you, Jim. But look, America has a complex relationship with race playing out still every day, right? And look what's just happened in the great state of Tennessee with their state representatives. I mean, racism is a part of our culture. There's just no denying. And we have now a century and a half of issues like structural racism and redlining and lack of access to healthcare for folks in communities of color. None of this is new. But what COVID did, and a deep thesis of our book, is that COVID shined a spotlight on these issues that we have all known about for over a century. Issues like, well, if you're going to have uh, telehealth, you better think about people who don't own a cell phone. If you're going Mm -hmm. to vaccinate folks, you better think about our pretty sordid history of dealing with healthcare needs on minority communities. If you're going to tackle health as an important outcome, well, you better take into consideration smoking hypertension, diabetes, obesity in communities of color. These communities were at an incredibly high risk for death and all the complications from COVID, very different from non-white communities, uh, just uh, incredibly, incredibly complex.
1: One of the things I heard you mention last week when I uh, saw you being interviewed was uh the fact that uh some economic groups were able to uh work remotely from home but the cashiers and bus drivers and right. we, workers we, they were course. essential workers yeah
0: yeah we learned very quickly you know who's essential quote unquote you know uh in Philadelphia the real heroes were the Lunch ladies in the public schools who came to the public school cafeterias to cook lunch that were then put on the buses and delivered to the local communities. So, no children on the buses, just delivering the food to the communities where in Philadelphia, one out of four people live in poverty. And of those 25% in poverty, half of them live in deep poverty, which means food insecurity. So the essential workers were the public transportation train conductors, the cooks, the folks who stocked the grocery stores. Mm -hmm. My wife and I stayed home and I continued to work full time. Uh, And we ordered our food and it was delivered to our front door.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, let's move on to another big topic, which was public health. Which, uh, uh, if this was a not a public health emergency, I don't know what one
0: would look like. My goodness, well, <laughs> you're you're totally right, Jim. But as we talk about in how COVID crashed the system, let's look at the underlying pre pandemic issue, which you could summarize very easily. In 2019, spending on healthcare services in America. of the GDP, roughly $10,000 per person, including children of annual healthcare spending, $400 per person to support the public health infrastructure. Mm -hmm. 10 grand versus 400 bucks. Is anybody therefore surprised that COVID crushed the public health infrastructure? Let's add then on top of that, the political implications and the cultural challenge whereby hundreds of public health professionals flee and left the system because of concerns over their personal safety. An unbelievable one-two knockout punch, the finances and the cultural backlash. That's what COVID demonstrated so conclusively.
1: One thing I would certainly have become aware of um, from the public health standpoint is usually we think that the public health entities and organizations keep track of uh, you know certain diseases and perform uh, contact tracing, keep right have registries who's been immunized, who's right. tested positive. <clears throat> that seemed like a complete failure.
0: It was a complete failure. And as my great colleague, Dr. Lena Nguyen at George Washington University is fond of saying in her book, public health saved your life today, you just don't know it. And that is true. Vaccination, clean water, hygiene, food safety, all these relatively, if you would, unsexy things compared to heart and lung transplant, breaking the human genome, Mm-hmm. Fighting cancer with your own cells. That's where the money is. That's where the cultural appeal is. That's where folks aspire to work. It's not in what's generally considered to be, you know, sort of the backwater of public health. But it turned out that we needed that backwater more than we needed the temples of technology like the one I'm sitting in right now.
1: Well, let's touch on uh, one other grave crisis Um, that was part of that uh, epidemic uh, pandemic still continuing. Actually, I I know some folks have gotten really sick in the last couple of weeks. Yes. Ended up with pneumonia. uh, Sick as they've been in their lives, they say. But uh, let's talk about the crisis in the hospitals.
0: Well, today we have a really interesting and very complicated post-pandemic situation, wherein hospitals have spent all the money they emergently received during the height of the pandemic, the CARES dollars. Now we're faced with the inflation for all of our supplies, the great resignation and movement of people out of the workforce, principally nurses, and the fear that a second pandemic could return, which is why in certain fields like emergency medicine they failed to match sufficient trainees to the available training slots. This is just the tip of the iceberg of what delivery systems or providers or hospital systems, all synonyms, are facing today. Um, essentially the model is so broken in our view, it has to be thrown away and we have to start over. And I would add, Jim, that we've lost our true North. What is it that we're in the business of doing? If our business is to improve health, we have gotten a failing grade. I think that's the take home message in part from how COVID crashed the system.
1: Let me mention to our audience, if you're just joining this episode. I'm Jim Tate, and today on the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Dr. David Nash, author of How COVID Crashed the System, A Guide to Fixing American Healthcare. Well, let's turn over the coin a little bit uh, and see maybe some lessons learned or best practices. Uh, I'll tell you one thing I'm very curious about is uh, folks uh, will come to the hospital uh, critically ill. And at some point, somebody or maybe a number of bodies figured out uh, if they're on a ventilator or, or whatever, we hit them with a lot of steroids and put them in a certain bodily position. Right. Um, and so, did that? Ju- um, how did that protocol uh, spread? How did okay, you hear okay. about it? Yeah. Well,
0: what a great question. So, very quickly, we do discuss this a little bit in the concluding chapters of the book. Mm -hmm. So every hospital created what we call in the business an incident command center, an incident being like a terrible uh, challenge, like the pandemic. And hospitals had these plans in place. And one of the key attributes of the incident command was daily closure of the feedback loop to frontline troops, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and others taking care of very ill patients. And so what we saw in real life play out was daily updates, daily willingness to uh, disregard old dogma and adapt and adopt new treatments. And that's how we got to prone positioning, use of dexamethasone, less and less use of ventilators. I mean, it's a tribute. To the culture of the incident command Mm -hmm. is characterized by self-evaluation, good data, and immediate closure of the feedback loop using the language that I just used of quality improvement. I hope aspects of that will be enduring moving forward. We will see how that plays out.
1: That that saves so many lives right there.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Right.
1: So, uh, in terms of the uh, other items related to the health system, healing itself, um, you mentioned aligning incentives. What do you mean by that?
0: Boy, that's a topic unto itself, Jim. But yeah. For our listeners, look, there's no question in our minds and the minds of hundreds of experts that we either talk to or reference their work private practice fee for service medicine is the root of all evil. Now, that's a provocative statement, but the evidence to support it would fill the room I'm sitting in. Mm. So, the incentives to do more and get paid more are harmful, dangerous, wasteful, not productive, and don't improve health. So, what we need is to realign the economic incentives and do what we call go upstream and shut the faucet rather than just constantly mopping up the floor. So, let's focus on exercise, nutrition, reducing crime, improving education, gun control, Mm -hmm. that those issues will improve lives and improve health.
1: Well, um, another topic I was interested to see you weigh in on uh, is the promise and peril of technology.
0: Well, of course, technology is always a two-edged sword, right? You know, the promise of telehealth works for the uh, already pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to make, uh, you know, the wealthy healthy, then we will have failed. So that is one of the two-edged swords. The other, of course, is the electronic medical record, wherein if it promotes and it just continues to be a part of what most folks regard as physician burnout, well, that's a two-edged sword again. So Technology is only as good as the folks who can implement it, and now we're staring down, of course, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, uh, chat GPT, and all the rest. So it'll be interesting to see how we harness all these new technologies. And, of course, the mRNA vaccine, actually not so much a new technology, but one that had been around for almost two decades, but re-harnessed for a a new purpose. So. Technology always is only as good as the folks who utilize it. How ready? Um,
1: of course, uh, COVID literally came out of the blue. The first thing we heard was maybe in January of 2020, a nursing home in the Pacific Northwest, and and then uh, within a couple of months, it was suddenly announced this could be uh, uh, transmission by airborne. Whole country shut down in about a forty-eight hour period. Right. Uh, totally out of the blue. No time to prepare, uh, and so that is uh, to me the um, happened so quickly. A uh, scariest aspect, and we don't know if there'll be another one like that in our lifetime. We just have no idea. But are we more ready for the next COVID-like
0: well? Pandemic? Sadly, I, my own personal view is we are nowhere near. Ready. Let me give you like a closing analogy, right? Mm-hmm. Sadly, let's go back to 9 11, September 11, 2001, and 3,000 Americans die in one attack in New York and in Washington, D.C. The country creates a cabinet level post. The nation is totally energized. And here we are, 22 years later, we're still taking our shoes off at the airport.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Just this week, Biden administration is very shortly to declare that the emergency is over. The White House task force will be taken apart. The folks will return to their previous day jobs and the funding for pandemic preparedness has not been radically increased, quite the opposite. So I would say that there's a famous post-World War II saying, Jim, when the dying stops, the forgetting begins. That's exactly where we are today.
1: And um, I believe that's probably the motivation behind you
0: writing your book. Indeed, that's part of it. And we wanted to create Charles and me. You know, our version of the historical record with scores of interviews, 500 references, you know, two years of work, so that when historians look more dispassionately at what happened, uh, I hope our book will be part of that conversation, part of that discovery.
1: I I know uh, the book is available on Amazon. Is that the easiest a place to get it or sure that...
0: that's the easiest there's a kindle version too but if folks just go david nash and put my name into amazon up it pops and we're grateful all the proceeds from the book go to the jefferson college of population well
1: but you're giving it back i know it's five stars on amazon i was i was looking at it today um if uh, folks want to maybe touch base or get in contact with you to discuss this more, uh, sure. Um, how do they How
0: do they reach you, Doctor Nash? Easy to get to me via email. It's David Nash at Jefferson like the president dot edu. David at Jefferson dot edu. If folks prefer LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn as well.
1: Well, we're totally out of time, and to our audience. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Take Chronicles. Of course, I offer a special salute to my guest today, Dr. David Nash. Dr. Nash, thanks for coming aboard today.
0: Thanks so much, Jim. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Been mine also. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors.
0: Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.